Good deal. Today, I'm really excited to jump into the book of Acts with you. We have an adventure to study today, as really most of the chapters of the book of Acts are kind of an adventure, and there's a lot of curveballs thrown at those first Christian believers. They face those with faith and sometimes with boldness, uh, sometimes surprisingly so, right? So today, turn to Acts chapter 19. If you're new and joining us, we're going through the whole book of Acts here this summer, and we're reading the scripture and then walking through what does it mean for us and, and looking at Acts somewhat as an example of the kind of life and the kind of miracles and power that you see in life when you follow Jesus. Okay? So Acts chapter 19, verse 1, we'll jump right in. But first, let me ask you to think about this question. We'll come back to it at the end every week this summer. This is the question we're asking as we approach God's word, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within us? It's, it's fun to read what the Holy Spirit did in other people or in history, in the first Christians, or you know, sometimes you hear reports from other, other places, other parts of the world, and you say, wow, God is, God is at work. Okay, well, that's, that's wonderful, that's encouraging, but Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within us? Okay, so Acts chapter 19, if you're using the Bible in the bottom of the seat in front of you, that is page 667. Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. So it's another story of Paul and his companions traveling around, sharing the gospel. At this time, people are just now finding out about Jesus. So it's a little bit of surprise that you go to a city and you realize, hey, there's, there's already some believers here. Someone else had already gotten there and shared the gospel. Uh, so that was good news. Ephesus at the time was a major city. Uh, it, was, it was probably about 250,000 in population, and it was one of the leading cities of that region. Uh, today, we look at that region, and it's the, it's the country of Turkey on the map. In Bible times, in the first century, they called that Asia Minor, or the province of Asia. So if you're thinking of, you know, where maybe if you've got old geography in your head, you can think about where Israel is, where the Mediterranean Sea is. Up north of that is Turkey, and that's where all of today's story comes from. Okay, so he was there, verse 2. He found these believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? Well, no, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, then what baptism did you experience? That is, how are you identifying? Like, what, what happened to you? He says, well, they, they replied, the, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism, remember John came before Jesus to prepare the way. John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months. And just about every week this summer, we've seen that's how Paul starts his interactions as he moves into a new city. You go to the people that might have a little bit of familiarity with what you're talking about, and you start with them. Uh, the synagogue was kind of like the Jewish church meeting. So he's there, he's arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, verse 9, but some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So no surprise here, uh, this seems to happen in every place. 
So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with them, and then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits and they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, the leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And that's the moment you're like, wow, I don't think exorcism was the best career path choice for me. Um, So it says, then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what had happened spread quickly through all of Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Okay, so people knew Paul was the mouthpiece, but Paul wasn't the source of the power. Right, so as these miracles were happening, as the evil spirits were being cast out, everyone was realizing, wow, something special is happening. There's power in the name of Jesus, and Paul is preaching about Jesus, and things are things we would never have expected to see uh, are occurring. Well, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who'd been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. And that's in our economy. Back then, they held silver coins, and you count that up and you realize these people were so serious about recognizing the power of God versus the sorcery and witchcraft that they've been a part of. They say, we're, we're done with all of that. We're burning it, even though it's worth a lot, right? So uh, you see these people truly repenting. So, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. And he sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. Something interesting to consider in contexts like this, and even today in places around the world, sometimes you hear about areas where there's more miraculous activity by the Holy Spirit, and sometimes you, you know, maybe in your experience, you say, I don't, I don't even know if I really see that at all. Uh, one, of the, one of the dynamics that's very obvious uh, is that when the people have been attached to the powers of darkness. So when there's occultism or witchcraft or sorcery or idolatry, and people are afraid of the spirits that are very real behind those things, it takes somehow demonstrating that the power of Jesus is greater than what they're used to seeing in order for them to conquer their fear and actually move over to the place of faith. And so here in Ephesus, that's what it took. Uh, Those people, it wouldn't have just been, hey, you know, share, share a few Bible verses and they all come to the Lord. No, they, they needed to know that if they were to step into the arms of Jesus, that he was going to be more powerful than all the powers of darkness that they'd been serving for all the years previous to that. Uh, so the fact that they were willing to burn their witchcraft books, to me, says they bought in. Uh, they were not worried about those evil spirits. That when they saw the power of Jesus at work, they knew this is the power that we need to put our faith in and begin to follow. 
Okay, but as, of, as it seems like happens in every city Paul visits, what do you think is going to happen next? You can cheat and look at the next subtitle. There's going to be a riot, right? It just, it just seems like it goes with the territory. Uh, so how did this one occur? This one really gets unhinged. In fact, it says the people who are in the middle of the riot, some of them didn't even know why they were rioting. Like it really got unhinged. Okay, so here we go. About the time... About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis, or Diana. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together, along with others employed in similar trades, and they formed a union. And he addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. What do you know? That's not actually that big of a jump, right? But for them, that was a big deal. And handmade gods, was, that's how they were making their living. So he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not here talking just about the loss of public respect for our business, I'm also concerned that the temple of our great goddess Artemis will lose its influence, and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. This guy's really magnanimous, isn't he? Uh, really thinking of others first. And you do, you do think, um, if, you're, if you have to like stand up and defend your god that might be a good reason to rethink worshiping that God, right? So here you're really worried, like Artemis, man, if we let Paul keep preaching, people might not respect her anymore, uh, which is true. So verse 28, at this their anger boiled, and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion, and everyone rushed into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering into the amphitheater. Inside, people were all shouting, some one thing, some another. Everyone was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak, but when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again, and they kept it up for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said. Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they've stolen nothing from the temple, and they've not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session, and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. If there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal, in a legal assembly. I am afraid that we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them and they dispersed. 
When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through, and then he traveled down to Greece where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life, and he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were traveling with him. Uh, they were Sophiter, son of Phurus from Berea, Aristarchus, uh, Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, Tychius, Trophimus from the province of Asia. They went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But the Passover ended, and we boarded, a ship, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, and five days later joined them in Troas, where we stayed a week. Okay, so nonstop adventure for the Apostle Paul, right? Just keeps coming. Uh, to the point where, if you think about it, if there was a threat against your life and you had to flee, that would probably be like a whole chapter in your own autobiography. But notice that just happened in like one verse. Like, by the way, there was another threat, and he had to flee again. Paul's life is... I mean, this is fast forward through a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And at every stop, he's seeing the Holy Spirit lead him, the power of God go before him. That's why there were so many fireworks. I thought it'd be interesting for us to look at this text and notice the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and just ask some questions about what we should expect when the power of God is at work among us. Okay? So let's Let's just look this through. First of all, we'll start with a quote from Paul that he wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. So this would be a great verse to think about if the primary, the, the primary practice of your Christian faith is here in church. Because what do we do when we're here in church? We talk, which is great, right? We're talking about important things. But if this is it, you're missing the actual kingdom of God. This is just the rally point for what's supposed to happen in life. Okay? So it's not just a matter of talk. It's actually you walking and living by the power of God. Well, when you deal with power, if you mishandle it, it can get a little bit shocking, right? So I was thinking about when we should not be shocked by the power of God. First of all, don't be shocked when things don't fit your system. When the power of God is at work, sometimes the, the logic of things and the simplicity of things is kind of out the window, and you just have to roll with it. Okay, so Paul shows up in this city. Uh, he meets some Christian believers, and guess what? They didn't even know the Holy Spirit existed. So you say, well, were they actually believers, or you know, how does that fit with theology? And, and my systematic theology here is getting messed up because something's off. And you know what? When the power of God's at work, you just keep running. So Paul says, hey, if you haven't heard of him, let me tell you about him. And, and those people then are filled with the Spirit, and they start demonstrating the miraculous power of God in that context. Okay, so as we start trusting God and expecting God to do powerful things, recognize that this isn't all going to be neat and tidy. It's not all going to fit in the system or happen the way we expect. Instead, we just say, Holy Spirit, we'll, we'll walk in wisdom. We'll walk according to your word. Um, but... Lord, everything's on the table. Uh, you, you take this where you want it to go, and we, we can expect things to happen that we would not understand or be able to plan for. Okay, here's another thing that I notice. Don't be shocked when people who should get it don't. And now, because we're reading Acts, we're not shocked by this because it seems to happen in every interaction that the apostles have as they start unveiling the gospel. 
that you would think about the people who've studied the Old Testament their whole lives, right? The Jews, the priests, the faithful Pharisees, that they would be the first ones lining up to follow Jesus the Messiah. Some of them did, many of them didn't. They were stubborn. Uh, they rejected the message and they started resisting and they're having murder plots and all sorts of crazy things. So you, you kind of expect when the power of God starts to move, some of the people that you thought would be the champions of that exact thing happening are the people who resist it. The people who say, hey, we haven't ever done it that way before. Man, that doesn't feel like the church I grew up in or I'm not sure I want it to be this way or there's so many new people coming or whatever it is that, that whatever their complaint might be, just kind of expect when the power of God shows up some people who really ought to get it will miss it. Just don't be one of them, okay? Don't be shocked when you find gospel opportunity in public places. It's interesting that, you know, the synagogue was kind of unfriendly, and so where did Paul end up essentially starting a church and teaching every day for two years? In the lecture hall of Tyrannus, okay? Now, I, I was reading into this, and um, interestingly, the city of Ephesus, as we read about it in the New Testament, is one of the archaeological sites that you can still go and see what it kind of did look like because the river that fed the city of Ephesus during this time kept bringing in silt from the sea. And, and so what started to happen was as it would bring in silt, they would have these big public works projects to try to like clear out the river and keep it flowing, but eventually they would give up and they would start building more of their city further downriver. Okay, so the city moved multiple times, which means the original city is actually somewhat still intact because it just got abandoned. It dried up and there wasn't water in that area anymore. Okay, so this is what they believe was that lecture hall of Tyrannus. Um, so, you know, maybe you can picture some sort of beautiful uh, Greco-Roman architecture setting there and Paul would have been wandering around there uh, sharing the gospel and teaching people and gathering groups together and preaching the good news, and for them, that was an effective meeting place. They didn't, there wasn't a church building, uh, and the synagogue wasn't friendly, so they just went to the public area and said, well, let's, let's do this here. If you walk around the city of Ephesus, I've never been there. I think that'd be a really fun trip sometime. Uh, you can actually see all sorts of things that, as you read the Bible and you see the names and places of things, or it's possible to go and look at those and see what archaeologists believe actually were the places where Paul stood or uh, the riot happened, things like that. Um, in fact, the, the temple that they were all shouting about, uh, Artemis of the Ephesians, and you know this is going to denigrate our temple, um, it was a pretty, pretty amazing site back in the day. Uh, they estimate it was four times the size of the Greek Parthenon. Uh, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that's now destroyed. In fact, the site where that happened, they put a sign to show what used to be there, and you see a couple pillars, and that's it. So you kind of wish you could go back to Demetrius and his union buddies and pull them into the future and go, look, the thing that you're serving with your life is that. Are you sure that's the right road to be on? Because this is not ultimately going to work out. Uh, this, like every other endeavor of humanity, eventually is going to pass into the sands of time. And that maybe you get a little monument, maybe you don't. That one's not very glorious. And, uh, and that's, that's what they were serving. That's what they were giving their lives to. That's what they were shouting about. Um, thankfully, those who were believers got out of that, and that wasn't their future. Instead, they followed Jesus. Okay, the other interesting site in the city of Ephesus that you can go look at is the amphitheater where the big riot occurred and the, everybody rushed in and they were all shouting, this is it. 
Uh, remember, this is a big city, so you could have had thousands of people fitting into this place, and this is where they're trying to make quiet, and you know, for hours the people are chanting, and finally the mayor dismisses the assembly. Uh, this is where Paul really wanted to get in there, and you could see why. I mean, if you imagine that stadium full of people, you take somebody with the Apostle Paul's attitude and like, you know, we go all in and it doesn't matter what the risks are, would, would that not be an amazing place to preach? Sure it would, uh, but everybody around him was saying, Paul, don't do it, don't do it, it's too hot in there, uh, there's no way you're going to survive it. So he went with the better part of wisdom and didn't walk into that, uh, what would have been a big hornet's nest for him. Okay, so when, when, we, when we see the power of God at work, don't be surprised if the public places actually become the place where God's works. Sometimes we assume that like if there's going to be some sort of breakthrough, it's going to happen in church. It may not, it may, I mean, we would pray for that, but it really might not be here that we see the power of God at work. This is just where we would seek God, this is where we learn about God, but when we go out from this place, that's where we see power happen. Okay, don't be shocked when God uses you in unexpected ways. There were, um, there were, there were multiple apostles and, and others in that first century church that got to see miracles and healings and things like that, but kind of got to a different level in this text when it says that people were actually just, just touch Paul with cloth and take that and... The, the, the power of God was at work to demonstrate how much stronger Jesus was in the powers of darkness that they were worshiping in that area. Um, I don't know how God's power will flow through you or what God may do through your words or your actions or your prayers, but when the Holy Spirit is at work in you, there's no reason to have limits on that. Say, Lord, I, I, I'm just going to trust you. You could either work in ways I'll never see or understand, or you could work in bold and amazing ways. Lord, my life is yours, so I'm expecting you to work through me however you want to work through me. Hey, another thing we can expect when we see the power of God at work is lives actually changing. You know, things won't be the same as they used to be. I think about in this, in this city of Ephesus, it would have been one thing if there had just been a big public assembly, everybody kind of heard the truth, maybe some people believe, and then they all go about their business. But notice that things really changed. Demetrius's business was collapsing, people were burning their witchcraft books. I mean, lives were changing and people were moving from one camp to another pretty dramatically. And when the Holy Spirit is at work, that's what we can expect to see. Say, Lord, would you do that in our day? I don't know what that would look like in Berrien Springs or Niles or St. Joe. Uh, I don't know what that would look like in your house or even in my house necessarily. Just say that, Lord, I, I'm, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to listen to you. And, and we pray that as we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, that our lives won't be the same as they used to be. Okay, and then don't be shocked when God gives you specific direction. So many times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit would say to Paul, now I want you to go over here, now I want you to do this. Because he was already obeying what he knew to do, because he was already being faithful with what God had put in his hands, then the Holy Spirit started to direct him. So as a little bit of a challenge today, I wanted to ask you a question and then just invite you to pray about the answer. Okay? Because in all of these stories of God's power at work and the great faith of the disciples who came before us, there's this sense that they knew God was going to work and that gave them boldness. But then they had boldness and that's why the Holy Spirit was able to work. There was some sort of a partnership going on there between their faith and the power of God. Could God's power work without you at all? 
Sure. But normally, the power of God is unleashed and demonstrated through someone who has faith. Okay? So the question is, what comes first? The power or the faith? Is it you in your heart resolving to stand for Christ or start the conversation or move into that public space and open up a conversation? Or is it God's power at work and then you get drawn along with it? It could probably go both ways, right? For our purposes, though, I want to challenge you on the faith side of the equation and maybe change the way that you think of this. Hey, there's two, two ways you could kind of pray about faith and power. The first way would say, Lord, if you bring power, I'll take this step of faith. So then we wait. Now, what's interesting is that's actually not faith, right? Because if God has to show you what's going to happen first, you're not really walking by faith. There's no risk then. Uh, faith is when you step forward without knowing all the answers about how it will happen, without knowing if there's going to be power backing you up. Uh, so here's a different way you could pray. Lord, I'll take this step of faith expecting your power. That's more faith-filled. So say, Lord, I'll, I'll move into that new community and try to be a light for the gospel, and then I'll expect that your Holy Spirit will work. Um, Lord, I'll strike up the conversation with that person who seems down and depressed and just see if there's an opening to talk to them about meaningful things or encourage them somehow, and I'll expect your Holy Spirit to work as I do that. Uh, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll have the faith to go ahead and give or share or serve somehow or volunteer somewhere. I don't, I don't know what it'll look like, but I'm trusting you for the power after I say yes to your call. And I believe if we'll have that posture... We say, Lord, I'm moving ahead in faith, not knowing what happens next, but just believing that you'll be there for me. Uh, that's when we'll start seeing things like what they saw in the book of Acts. That's what moves us to the front lines of the spiritual battle. And at the front lines is where you actually see the action. Okay? So a couple front lines questions I wanted to give you to think about and pray about as we wrap up. If you really would say, I would love to see the power of God at work kind of hoping there's not a riot in Berrien Springs when we see it. Um, but hey, I mean, everything's on the table here, so you never know. Um, but Lord, I, I'm, I'm ready to, like the Apostle Paul, walk into unfamiliar situations and just trust you and start moving forward in obedience. Um, how will I move to the front lines? So these are some questions you can ask. You can pray it. You can ask yourself this question even. And I believe... The answers to these questions are where you'll find your next step and then the power of God. Okay, here's the first one. What spiritual needs do people here, or do people have here? What spiritual needs do people have here? The Apostle Paul walks into Ephesus. He sees people who believe in Jesus, but it doesn't seem like they have the whole story, and he assesses, well, I think they need the Holy Spirit here. And so he talks to them about that, and then he sees the demonstration of God's power as a result of striking up that conversation. So you might walk, you might think about your workplace or your school, and you think about the people that are sitting next to you and go, okay, you know, what, what are the spiritual needs that I sense here? Lord, what do these people need? And just asking that question is going to start opening some doors. Here's the next question to ask. How can I represent Jesus well in this place? So you walk into your office, and usually, you know, you walk into your office because you kind of have to, you have to 
earn the money that that job represents. Okay, well, that's important. I'll keep doing that. But how can I represent Jesus well in this place? Or you go to school because, I don't know, your parents or somebody out there saying you have to. Say, so I'd rather not go to school if I didn't have to. Okay, well, you're there. So now ask this question. How could I represent Jesus well in this place? Um, could be, you could ask of your neighborhood. Um, next, next Sunday morning when we're all in the stadium, after the 5K happens and there's the, you know, the festival and all that, you could be wandering around. Sure, you can have your own fun time connecting with people, but you could also ask, how could I represent Jesus well in this place? Okay, here's the third question. Where are people gathering and how could I join them? It's one thing I keep noticing about the spirit of the apostles in the first century is they were not heading off to the monastery. And there's a time and place for that in life uh, where you rest, you unplug, you... But normal, like when they were on mission, they were not looking for alone time, right? They were trying to find the group of people to talk to. And so you might say, okay, where, where are people gathering and how, how can I get involved in that? Maybe you're not a flamboyant preacher like the Apostle Paul, but you can be an influencer. You can be a positive witness wherever you are with whoever you're with. And so you say, how can I get involved in people's lives? And then here's the last question. What impact can I make while I'm here in, and fill in any blank you want? Because everything in our lives is temporary. So the job you have is temporary. The school you're going to is temporary. The neighborhood you live in is temporary. Even here, being at this church, in one way or another, it's all temporary. You say, Lord, as long as I'm here, whether it's for a week or a year or 50 years, what impact can I make? When we start asking God questions like that and then moving forward in faith, I, I believe not only will we get some clarity about what makes sense for us to do on a human level, but we'll start to see the Holy Spirit working through us. Because instead of being on the sidelines, we'll have moved up to the front lines and we'll be where the needs are and we'll be where the people are that need to be reached and we'll be where the next opportunities are the mentality to say, Lord, I, I'm going after it in faith. Okay, so we, we want to ask, Holy Spirit, what, what do you want to do within me? And we want to ask that not in sort of a theoretical sense, an academic sense, but very practically. Like as I get up from this church service and walk out the door, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within me? Where do you want to send me? What do you want to do in my life? Uh, what choices do you want me to make? All right, I'd invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment just to reflect on this and to pray. And let's ask him what he would have us do. Holy Spirit, we come to you now recognizing that you're capable of amazing and powerful works. You're capable of using any one of us in the same way that you use the Apostle Paul. So Lord, at least for me, and I know a lot of my friends here, we're open to that. We want our lives to be lived not just to the best of our own human ability, but something supernatural to see your power at work. So would you give us the resolve in our hearts to walk by faith, to take the next step of faith? As we venture into our, our own public arena next week as a church family, in part to celebrate and have fun, in part to reach out to neighbors and make new connections across the community. 
I pray that you would give all of us an expectation that your power will be there with us as we interact with people, as we think about how to invest into them and care about them and converse with them. I pray that in every way, Lord, the things we do, the way that we live, that it would bring honor to you. And as we saw in today's text, that our region would honor you because of the transformational power they see in our lives. Help us to live in that light. In Jesus' name. Before you go, I wanted to talk you through next Sunday morning. So we've got an important Sunday coming up. And as you see different signs around, you'll notice there's different times listed. And I want to explain that through because as an insider, I want to make sure you get the whole experience next Sunday. So at 7.30 a.m., we'll have a devotional at Sylvester Stadium. Okay, so if you're somebody that says, man, we can't miss church, you don't have to miss church, you just have to come earlier. Okay, so 7.30 a.m., we'll start in there, we'll pray, we'll ask for God's work on that special day, and then we'll all go off and start volunteering, fellowshipping, whether you're official volunteer or not, we still want you to be there and enjoy it, throw in a helping hand, or even just walk around and say, if I don't have another job to do, my job is to go and talk to people, greet people, engage with people. All right, we, we hope you'll feel ministered to in that. We also hope that you'll minister to others and use this opportunity. Hey, at 9 o'clock, the 5K will start. And so that, for that, you're supposed to be officially registered. You can officially register when you walk up that day, but it would be easier if you would officially register right now. You can do that. You go to the homepage of our website, go to Berrien.life. There's a link that says 5K registration. Click that link, register. That'll help us prepare for you to be there as an official runner. If you're not an official runner, you don't have to register. Um, you, can, you come, you fellowship, you hang out, you can give a little bit of help as we set up the community festival, which starts at 1030. Okay, so you see signs around town that are saying to the whole community, hey, show up at 1030. Uh, at that festival, there'll be all sorts of little sports challenges and food and people to meet and interesting things to look at. And that, that is a mix between a party for us and an outreach to our neighborhoods. Okay, so you come, you engage, it'll be... Uh, I believe it's going to be a lot of fun. I have well, a little bit of an inside view of what's coming and some of the special treats we have lined up for that time. You'll love it. Your kids will love it. Uh, whether you're a senior citizen or pre-K or anything in between, there'll be something for you. So I'd encourage you to, if you're not planning on doing the running part or you can't get up early enough for the 7.30, make sure you show up at 10.30 and enjoy there until 1. Bring a little bit of extra money for the food trucks that we'll have. We've got a variety of those. And uh, we're praying that this will be a weekend um, of connection and a weekend where in many ways we start some fresh relationships. Maybe starting relationships one to another. Uh, maybe starting relationships with, with people we've never met. Okay? Uh, so I just want to lift that up in prayer to the Lord and then uh, make sure to kind of pass that word around. If there's someone who's not here that normally sits next to you, make sure they know don't come here next Sunday. Show up at Sylvester Stadium right in the middle of Berrien Springs. This is the stadium that's right behind McDonald's if you're not familiar. And uh, we'd love to have you come and join us. So, Lord, we commit that outreach to you. We recognize that, uh, Lord, there will be hundreds of people, we pray, that will encounter a, um, one of us, a representative of you. And that as we're in our own public arena, the Lord, you would give us wisdom and compassion and an ability to connect and care for people. I pray that we would also find some joy and rest, even here among our church family, just getting to 
instead of sitting here together, getting to engage one to another and, uh, and have some fun. So thank you for the opportunity and for all those who are making it happen. Uh, Lord, we look forward to what you'll do next week. And um, we commit the whole project to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. We'll see you at the stadium next Sunday morning.